Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Maness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. This week, I'm all about who is the Adele, Beyonce, and Celine Dion of Renaissance art with Lisa Bhutan Vitella, professor of art history at Cerritos College. You guys, um, I've been having this fantasy since I started getting curious about doing an episode about, like, who is, like, the Beyonce and the Dell of, like, Renaissance art? Like, who are the major players? Like, who are the two that were always vying for album of the year if there was an album of the year for, like, painter of the year in the Renaissance? Uh, obviously, as you can imagine, that was a hard subject to cover for us. But we found the perfect person, and we're so excited to welcome Professor Lisa Bhutan Vitella. Beautiful. That's right, right? Yeah, that's Lisa Bhutan right. Vitella. Thank you. Well, um, Professor, wait, but can I, what do you want me to call you? Just call me Lisa. Oh my God, okay, Lisa. Perfect. Um, she is a professor at Cerritos College. Correct. Which I thought I had heard of, but then she did uh, rightfully point out that what I'd actually heard of was Cerritos Auto Square from that. It is very famous. <laughs> yeah, it <the> is. <laughs> it is. But the college, you're putting, we're putting it on the map. Indeed. I'm actually sure that it's, Cerritos College has probably done more things important and cool things in doing getting curious but nonetheless we are like doing god's work and i am so excited to learn about really just like art like but you know old art like like what's the deal you know the old art no it was a very exciting time when you talk about the beyonce and the adele the key guys were basically the ninja turtles the ones that we know of so michelangelo leonardo donatello Raphael. wait the ninja turtles were all named after renaissance (laughs) artists correct oh my god yes i like the ninja turtles so much more now indeed yeah that's how all my students know the names right away so donatello was a little earlier but then we've got the three key high renaissance artists artists were Raphael, Leonardo da Vinci, and Michelangelo. Yes, that was it. And those three were very competitive with each other. <laughs> My mind's already blown. Um, <laughs> I feel like we already, like, did it. Um, uh, did you, I wonder if you guys all knew or they'd be like, or you're like, duh. Maybe I was, like, too busy watching Miss USA and figure skating and stuff when I was little to I know. didn't watch the Ninja Turtles, but my husband did. So, so yes, he's told me about this. <laughs> so, um, uh, first of all, before we jump all into that, I do want to know a little bit about you. Um Just because, I mean, so when did you get interested in art? How did you start teaching it? Like, tell me everything about that. Sure. So growing up, I had a teacher who loved to teach us about art, Picasso and Van Gogh, and all the other students thought it was very boring. And for some reason, I thought it was wonderful. And then I took an art history class in high school like you did, but I guess your experience was not so fun. Um, (laughs) But here you are coming back and learning more. Uh, So anyways, I was always interested. And whenever I traveled, I enjoyed seeing art. And then I studied abroad in in Rome in college, and that kind of sealed the deal. I knew that I was to study the Renaissance, so I've just been studying, and I got my PhD at UCLA. Oh my God, you got to okay. So two things: one, everyone knows that I love a PhD, like not to be a title queen, but I do love having a guest who has like a gorgeous title. Not that my guests who haven't had a title aren't amazing because they are, but I do love a gorgeous title. So like, yay for you. Second of all, I told uh, Lisa this gorgeous story when I first got here this morning about I took AP Art History. In, in high school and I had this teacher who was like very hideous and I was very very gay and um, he 
Well, actually, you know, I'm going to own my side of the street for this. There's two things he didn't like about me. One was that I was super duper gay. Two is that because he was drier than two by four, sometimes I would pass out face first on my textbook in the back of the class because I was tired. But he called me a very derogatory gay word, which is not okay Horrible. for like a 50-something-year-old man to call a 16-year-old little baby gay who's Horrible. like a sophomore in high school or junior in high school or whatever. Um, so I did not have a cute experience in AP art history, but I've always been very interested in it nonetheless. Perfect. So that's cute. And then the second thing is, uh, what was your, because uh, don't PhD people have to like write like a dissertation? I did, yes. What did you do yours on? So I wrote it about a woman who collected art, because that was pretty rare in the Renaissance. Her name is Isabella d'Este. So she was in northern Italy, and she was what I like to call a Renaissance Was she woman. in Torino? <laughs> in Torino. She was very close to Torino, but she was in a city called Mantua, or uh, Mantova in uh, Italian. Uh, uh, <laughs> we know about Mantua from like, from, from, wasn't that a famous city in, um, um Shakespeare? Of course, the, yes. the, the, the family from Shakespeare, of course, I've heard all about them. Yes, yes. So tell me about Mantua. So it is a beautiful city. It is, people sometimes call it a one-horse town because it is hard to get to, but it is glorious once you get there. I always say it's worth the effort to make it there. Um, no, there were wonderful artists that worked there, and the city is just beautifully designed, and I just like it because there was this woman who was collecting art because it was so rare for women to collect art. Usually and what it was all year? The, men and the Medici family and things like that. What year? So this was around, uh, she, she lived from 1474 to 1539. Okay, let's think yeah. about that. 1470. About 500 years ago. 1474 to 1539 would have made her, like, how old did when she died? So she was, I think, in her late 60s. So that's pretty old for then, right? Yeah, she didn't do too badly, yes. And she was very busy in her life. She had many children, and she was busy getting her children lots of important social positions, Ooh. like a cardinal's hat for her son and things What's like that. What's that mean, a cardinal's hat? It means you would generally pay to have one of your son's receive the rank of cardinal, which was like, you're close to being the pope, but yes. you're not quite there. Right. And yeah. then they were the, those are the ones who like vote on the stuff with the white smoke and the black smoke in that one TV show. And exactly. It, I remember them. Yes, you um, know. So, uh, okay, cute. So she had lots of, and so basically at the time it was the Medici family, which was kind of like the power family, and they were the ones collecting that, and she was like, let me get in here. And like, because did people know back then that like the art that they were collecting was going to be so valuable? That's a great question. I mean, the Medici took their art collecting very, very seriously, and so did Isabella in Mantua. So the Medici were in Florence, and Isabella was in Mantua, and I think they were hoping to make a mark on history, to be remembered. There's a really famous concept by a scholar came up with a concept of what's called self-fashioning, which basically means everyone was working to create a unique identity so that they would be remembered by future generations. And isn't that what everyone wants to do? Indeed, yeah. So today, I mean, on social media, everyone's trying to create a unique identity. And in the past, it was more about collecting art and showing it off to your friends. You'd bring them into your special room, which were like kind of mini museums, and you would show them what you had collected. It could be antiquities or beautiful sculptures or paintings, and you would try to show how intelligent you were. That's literally fucking Instagram of 500 years ago. Yeah, like that's literally what it is. It's just you don't have to like go to someone else's house, and you didn't have to hashtag it. And it's like, and it's, but that's like you know your curated best self. Like that's like this idea that we just want to show everyone like what our most curated best self is. Absolutely. And after all of these years, like it's all kind of like the same. 
you know? It's definitely true. No, and a lot of these people had very difficult lives. There was a lot of disease. People yeah, died young. Yeah, the plague young, everywhere. The plague. Um, Childbirth. But, yeah, exactly. But when you were showing off your best self via your art, you didn't show those aspects of your life. Exactly. Kind of like what we do on social media today. We never show the negative things, only the positive things. Yeah, except for if you wanted to maybe be controversial, like you could like have more controversial art made by more controversial people or something. That is true. So uh, after the high renaissance, we do see a particular style that's more erotic, more um, kind of naked bodies, and that's called, which some scholars call it mannerism, uh, and so we do see a little bit more controversy after the so-called perfection of the high renaissance. But I didn't mean to skip past the renaissance, so if you were like a family of, you know, stature, and you could afford like, you know, stuff in your house or whatever, like what did the art in your Instagram room say about you? So, for example... Or did people care about that? Was it just like being pretty? No, it, you definitely wanted it to have a message, and generally it would speak to how intelligent and well-trained you'd been in scholarly fields. So um, in the Renaissance, it's all about rediscovery of ancient Greece and ancient Rome. So often it would show, oh, I've read certain ancient poets, or uh, I can show off that I'm knowledgeable about certain ancient Greco-Roman gods, that kind of thing. So it would include Mars and Venus and Jupiter and people that maybe you'd read about, and then you would show that knowledge in the artwork. Okay, so I need to unpack that a little bit because, um, okay, so... Okay, so that in what years are we talking about again? Like, when's the so Renaissance? Around fifteen hundred to so generally, like High Renaissance would be four eighty or fourteen eighty to fifteen twenty. Fourteen eighty to fifteen twenty. So that's like forty years. Renaissance could be like fourteen hundred to sixteen hundred. Okay, but like the real, like when it was really like the roaring twenties of the Renaissance was like eighty to twenty. Yeah, I'd say about that. Um, and then okay, so fourteen eighty to fifteen twenty, and then the idea of being like Greco-Roman was ancient then. So when's Greco and Roman stuff? Okay, so um, Greece was really in its golden age around the fifth century BCE. So. About 2,500 years ago. Okay, so like, so 2,500 BC, that means like 20, that that means, wait, that's about how About 500 BC. Before Jesus or whatever. Yes, exactly. So if Jesus was zero, then like that was like bef- 500 years uh-huh. before Jesus. So then what zero. did they think they knew about Greco-Roman stuff in 1500? So they, mostly they knew about Roman things because the ancient Roman civilization still had kind of bits and pieces, ruins that they could encounter on the Italian peninsula. Like they could still see the Colosseum. And they could still see certain Roman temples, but they had some knowledge of Greece. More and more was coming in as time went on, like through like through archaeology or something, mostly or? through written texts that had that eventually would be translated from the Greek. But mostly they were familiar with Latin, so that would be the Roman culture. So in Roman culture, they spoke Latin, which is like Italians, like a baby of that, right? It's a, yeah, they would call it the vernacular. They were using um, Italian, so yes, it's a Romance language that is derived from Latin. So they would just like find books and stuff, and then. And read about it. So there was like some, like there was like scholars back then too who like studied. Yes, yes. And they would often look for patrons. So again, people like Isabella Deste or the Medici would sponsor these individuals to write books and to um, share this information and to educate their their children as well. They would serve as tutors sometimes. Okay, cute. I feel I feel more complete on that. Okay, great. So then fast forward to Isabella, the, the who you wrote your dissertation on, and she was this like fierce lady who wanted to make herself fashioning, um, and, and that was like really 
like chic back then. What was like her controversy of like her time? Did she have like a like in your dissertation? Like what was like the climax of her of her of her stuff? <laughs> like who was she obsessed with? She was always trying to beat everyone out in terms of her collecting. For example, she loved to collect antiquities, so she was always trying to make sure that she was able to purchase new discoveries if she could afford them. Um, I mean, she was always just basically fighting for her children, whatever they needed. She was always working on their behalf. I mean, she was kind of mean to her daughters. Everyone just wanted sons at that time. So there's a famous Ugh. story where when things her, never change, I'm so over it. When her daughter was born, her first child, she wouldn't let her sleep in the crib that she'd had commissioned for the child because she said, no, we have to wait until we have a son. Isn't that mean? So people just generally wanted sons, especially if they needed um, an, an heir. heir to the duchy or whatever they were going to be inheriting. A duchy is like she a... Was kind of mean in some ways. Is, is a duchy like a, an Italian dowry? So someone something? would be a duke. Yeah, it was someone oh. would be a duke and a duchess of that area. Oh, yeah. okay, <laughs> cute. So, um, okay, so then back to the... Um, Ninja Turtle. Wait, so when did she live again? Oh, wait, wait, she was like in the, you told me uh, when she lived. Like around uh, 1474 to 1539. So right during the time of the Renaissance. And then when you say antiquities, that's like sculptures? Yeah, so things that would be discovered uh, around the city of Rome. People were making lots of discoveries. That was something that Michelangelo was really interested in. So that people would go and watch as important uh, ancient sculptures were removed from the ground. And Ooh. Like, oh, wow look at this amazing work that we've discovered. So it was very exciting. That was the hot thing to go and see at that time if you were an artist. Um, and I mean, I totally know that this is like a different podcast, but you still know more about it than I mean. I just, my brain is going here for just like one second. So like, okay, so, uh, you know, 1500s or whatever, there's like in your, in Italy and around Rome. So that's like, that's like Latin is with Rome and that's like, was one ancient culture. But then Greece is obviously like a different one. And that was like a different, like, Game of Thrones kingdom area, and they did Greek. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that was before Rome, or at the same time, or the time when it, the culture was at its pinnacle was before Rome, and then later on you have the Roman Empire. And the reason the two are often connected is because Rome modeled a lot of its art on Greece, and a lot of their gods were very similar to the Greek gods. So that's why often in the Renaissance we'll talk about Greco-Roman culture because in a lot of ways they're quite similar. There, of course, a lot of distinctions, but we link the two together because in the Renaissance they were very interested in both those cultures. In the Renaissance, okay, okay, because the Renaissance was 1500 and and then Greco stuff was before and then Roman stuff was before, but they were not at the same time? No, not, they weren't at their heights at the same time. But they were still existing at the same time. Sure, yes. But Rome didn't kill Greece. They did come and conquer different territories in Greece and expand their empire into Greece. So those cities still existed, places like Athens, but it was under the Roman Empire. So Athens existed under the Roman Empire? Yes, it did. That is so fucking interesting. Uh, isn't it? Yes, I cannot even get over that. That is so, so like, oh my, that is so crazy. I can't even get over that. So, um, okay. So that's, so, but Greece was major first and then Latin, and then Rome. Rome was major second. Yes. And then all of them kind of fizzled due to like all sorts of different stuff. And then there was the dark ages and then there was the Renaissance. Yes. And well, we do tend to call it more the medieval period now. We don't like to say that it was so oh, dark. Oh, dark. I'm sorry. Sad. Oh my God. I'm sorry. That was not woke of me to call no, it that. It's okay. I'm so sorry. It's just the people who are scholars in medieval Renaissance. They like get offended medieval, by that. We get really sad when we call it the dark. I'm so sorry, you guys. I didn't <laughs> I know. know, but yeah, she was like medieval. She was very much like a la ever after era, the medieval 
ages, right? Yes. Like with Drew Barrymore and like that whole, like that was more like. Well, that's kind of going out of the medieval period into the Renaissance because actually, oh yeah, because Da Vinci after, was in that. Da Vinci was ah, in it. Yes, he was. So I didn't want to correct oh you. I'm gonna break some. Yeah. Oh my god. It is such a good movie. So wait, wait, wait. So um, in the in the um with the with. Oh my god, I'm getting too heated in here. Da Vinci was one of the four Ninja he Turtles. He was one of the four Ninja Turtles, and he was a high Renaissance artist. And he did go to work for uh, the King of France. So, indeed, he was in France. So that film isn't totally inaccurate. Um, she's not. No. And honestly, that makeover scene, when that fairy godmother queer-eyed her ass, and she it's got amazing. that, oh my god, and she had to just breathe up on that pedestal and walk out in those wings. <laughs> oh, girl, that... That gets me every time. I haven't watched that in a while, but I think I'm due to that, watch it again. That part makes me cry like it, like your Just grandma's wings. funeral or something. Like, I freak out on that part. It's a good movie. It really is. So, but anyway, I feel like it's, you know, I feel like I got a little baby bit of, oh, um, wow, cute. That was like, I feel, that was such a great natural segue. Okay, you guys, so we're going to be back with more uh, with Professor Lisa and more. And we're now really going to get to the, the Ninja Turtles in like 2.5. So listen to me do really funny commercials for a second. And, um. We'll be right back. Okay, audience, I love you guys so much. You guys continually rock my world. And as much as I absolutely hate to do this, I'm, I am asking you to take a survey. I, I hate surveys. I can't be bothered with them. I, I really, I loathe them. So I'm so sorry, but don't do it while you're driving. But if you could ever just pull over or like tell Siri to leave you a note for later or tell your Android version of Siri to tell you to do this later. Cause you know, whether you're an Apple person or an Android person, like I love you equally. So just this little baby moment, if you wouldn't mind, uh, in order to support my show and pay for studios and editing and guest booking, I need the help of some great advertisers, which you guys is like literally makes the world go round. So hello. And in order for great advertisers, Earwolf needs to learn a little bit more about you. So please go to your podsurvey.com slash AVN. Again, go to podsurvey.com slash AVN. Please, girl, go to podsurvey.com slash JVN and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little better. That way we can show advertisers just how great our listeners are. Plus, once you've completed the survey, you can enter to win a $100 gift card, girl. Don't you want $100 to spend on Amazon? I do. Um, and you don't even have to be a girl to want to do that. Like, boys want to do that, too, which is amazing. Um, So, again, that's podsurvey.com slash JVN. And thanks so much for your help. Love you guys. Bye. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. Uh, So, basically, I was just saying that I feel like I got a cute little baby background on your gorgeous uh, passion with art and I feel like I kind of got myself sorted out on, like, the timelines that we're talking about because, in my mind, I feel like pre like 1800s it's all just like one big jimble jamble sure and a I just, lot of people just say oh old art you know anything before 1800 but no we've divided it into some pretty clear categories totally and I want to know <laughs> more about that but specifically um, you're what you're the most interested in what you are most you know professory about is the gorgeous renaissance right yes that's my main area and that is the four ninja turtles yes and indeed so um I was telling Anthony about this episode uh, before and he was because he's really into art and he was telling me about 
um, a few things that he wanted me to tell you about, or not tell you about, but ask you about, because obviously you're going to tell me about it. No, tell Jonathan. me. Uh, no, I mean, like, I'm going to ask you about. So he told me at the top of the Sistine Chapel that the that really hot God and, and sexy other guy, when they were touching fingers inside that cloud, um, that that was like really a cross-section of, like, a brain if you looked at it, like, this piece of a brain or something. And that was really controversial because at the time, like, you couldn't do autopsies. And so that means that, like, whoever made the Sistine Chapel, like, had some painter friends who on the low were, like, cutting brains open and stuff. Yes. So there have been theories put forth that uh, parts of the Sistine Chapel are body parts, indicating that Michelangelo was familiar with uh, dissections and had seen human bodies. And we know that people like Leonardo, was that they were engaged in this type Type of practice, but it was generally frowned upon. It isn't until later that we see um, the ability for people to come together and see dissections in a kind of sanctioned way. It's allowed for people to come together. But we think casually people may have done this, you know, behind the church kind of thing. So, yeah, so the, <laughs> Maybe not behind the church, but somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah, so, yeah, so, so that is, so, when, so basically like in a medical sort of way, we weren't like, you know, cutting people open and like being cool with it until like later because when, like in the, in the Renaissance, like it was, you know, the Pope was very, very major. Like it was very much like all of that HBO show. Uh, Cause I think of, um, a lot of my knowledge of not knowledge, but like the brother and the sister, and they were just banging each other. And the Borges, yes, honey, the Borges. That show was everything. Cesare and Lucrezia. Oh yes, honey, and they just had to <laughs> dig that syphilis right up out of his poor private parts because they didn't have antibiotics. They did have syphilis then? Yes, mm-hmm. it was a rough time. Yep, and no antibiotics. No, nope, no, nope. and you just went crazier than. Um, as Tom would have said from Queer Eye, you, you go crazier than a freshly effed forest fox in a forest fire. I don't said. know exactly if um, Lucrezia and Cesare were really doing that, but there were rumors, yes. What year were, were they in? So that's around 1500. Oh, my God. They were in the height of the Renaissance. Oh, yes. No, a lot was going on with the Borgias. So we don't know for sure. So so there were rumors, but that's not substantiated. So there it's very rude rumors. to presume. Well, we can gossip about it. Why? Because why, why did people think? Jonathan, stop getting distracted. We are not going to talk about incest just because Game of Thrones and like everyone like you know thinks it's so great. We're going to talk about... Well, well, a lot of people married their cousins in the monarchy in those groups. So. Totally, but I want to glorify like the artist, which I'm sure still glorifies all of its own messed up stuff. But I want to know about them. I don't need to know about all these like Game of Thrones incest, you know, Catholic, you know, family royalty. Even though they're interesting too, so maybe we'll come back to that. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> um, but back to those uh, the Renaissance babies. So you said that one kind of came before the other ones. Donatello came first. Not yes. Versace. No, no. Yes, not Donatello Versace. No. Um, so Donatello worked earlier on, around like 1440. He was working for one of the Medici family members, Cosimo. And so that's when he really started turning Florence into this area where a lot of sculpture was being produced and a lot of exciting artwork was being produced in the early 15th century. So was he kind of like an inspiration for the ones that came later? Like were people kind of like looking up to him and... Absolutely. So Donatello created a very famous sculpture of the David. So like the David meaning the story of David and Goliath. So defeating Goliath. And um, Michelangelo would create his own David. Very, very famous Which is David, the one. The David. Uh, right around 1500. And so 
no doubt he was looking back at Donatello's earlier version when he created it and wanted to surpass it in many ways. And most people would say he did. Um, but they capture different moments. Donatello's is after he has decapitated Goliath. So you actually can see his head, Goliath's head, underneath David. Uh, whereas Michelangelo's is beforehand. So he's actually getting ready to attack Goliath. And he has this furrowed brow and he looks pretty intense. Ooh, cool. Yes, it's exciting. Um, and then... Uh, who, at that point, like, when Donatello would make something and then someone wanted to buy it, like, would he have, like, an aid, like an agency or something? Or would someone just come straight to him and buy it? Like, who would get the money? So generally, artists would develop contracts before making an artwork. So they would actually have a contract, and it would say, uh, this person, Cosimo de' Medici, will give you 100 florins to start the project for the bronze. He'll give you 10 florins per month. This is an example. Uh, as you make it, and then 100 florins at the end. So it's basically a contract to get you going, a contract as you work, and then something at the end. So artists generally didn't have enough money just to have a studio and start producing things randomly. The only thing they might produce without a commission would be something like a Madonna and child image, like a Virgin Mary Mm -hmm. with baby Jesus, um, because those sold very easily. Um, But any kind of large sculpture, you would have a commission ahead of time. Is that the true paintings too? A lot of times for larger paintings, large altarpieces in churches, large paintings for the home, like Botticelli's Birth of Venus was commissioned by a Medici family member, um, and that was for the home, and it's a large piece, so it was definitely commissioned ahead of time. Um, and oh, oh, God, she's getting so she's my brain's getting like so ADD with questions. Um, so is it kind of like to bring it to social media again? Is it like w- when, you know, Donatello would be like, yo, like, I just got this, you know, sculpture commission for like so and so. Like, who was he competing against at the beginning or was he just kind of in a grade by himself at the beginning? So he would be uh, competing with people earlier on. But at that point, by the time he was doing the David for the Medici, he really was kind of Cosimo's go to guy. But there were a lot of competitions in Florence where they would basically say, who can create this scene the best? And then you'll get the full commission. There's a really famous competition for, there's a structure in Florence called the Baptistry. And they had these beautiful bronze doors. And everyone had to create a scene of the sacrifice of Isaac. So Abraham about to sacrifice Isaac. And uh, there was a whole competition. Two artists were at the top. Uh, One ended up getting the commission. His name was Ghiberti. Um, But that's considered one of the competitions that really started the Renaissance. And the idea that people had to compete to be the best, that got people um, working their hardest and creating the most interesting art, they think. The idea that competition allowed people to be the best or caused them to be the best. Yeah, because in my mind, I imagine there being like a culture of like, I don't, you know, just how with any industry, there's like a culture of like, you know, with hairdressers, like in the day, there was like, uh, like so-and-so's charging like 350 now, like, oh, but so-and-so's charging like 375, did you hear? Like, so there's like this idea of like, you know, setting standards and like, you know, who's charging the most and who's like the chicest or, so I would think that like with art, there would have been like that sort of culture. Sure, yeah, and a lot of artists, the goal was to start working for a very well family and just basically be given almost like an allowance. You would be given a set income every month. And then when the family needed you to create art, you would create the art. But there were a lot of complaints that people did not pay on time, like they were waiting for their income quite frequently. So that was always an issue. Um, Michelangelo always complained that he wasn't paid on time for the Sistine Chapel and look at the beautiful work he did. So yes, patrons did not always pay their artists on time. Then so then does Donatello die? He does die. Yes. Tragically syphilis, gay stuff, no. He was probably having a gay life. He was? Yes, yes. 
Yes. The only one out of the Ninja Turtles who probably was not practicing a gay lifestyle was I, Raphael. Ooh, I love this story. I didn't even know, but I just keep yeah. loving it more. So Raphael was kind of like a ladies' man. He was. Or bi. Maybe bi. Or any of them. But no, he liked ladies. Possible. But yeah. he was more into ladies, it seemed like. He was really into the ladies, yes. So, so it seems. Okay, yes. cute. So then Donatello dies. He's probably gay. He had a boyfriend. He had a husband. I don't know the details on that one. No, no. but no, but that's okay. But 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 did people know that they were gay? Yes, I mean it seems that people were knowledgeable of it. And the only thing I know about Donatello in particular with his lifestyle is Cosimo de' Medici wanted him to look fancier, I think. He was always trying to get him to dress up um, because he was a sculptor, so he would just wear kind of messy clothes and go to his sculptor's workshop. Uh, and Cosimo de' Medici was like, come on, artist, look a little fancier. But Leonardo da Vinci apparently always looked amazing. He apparently had an entourage that looked great. He was always running out of money because he was spending so much money on looking wonderful. I get it. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, he looked great. Um, and we know that Michelangelo or Michelangelo had specific young men that he was attracted to, who he wrote poetry for. And there was a recent exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum in New York that actually acknowledged the fact that he had this lifestyle because a lot of art historians and scholars have just glossed over it. They haven't wanted to address it. And I think now we're finally in a time where we can all talk about it openly. And it's like beautiful. So which one of the three that came later uh, in the group has the most gay proof? Or gay I talk. Say, I love. I love to talk about gay stuff. I do. I would say Michelangelo probably because there was just this huge exhibition, and so in the catalog, there's a lot of information about these letters and poetry and gifts that he gave, like beautiful drawings that he gave to favored individuals. Um, and he really struggled with it. I think he believed that it was sinful in some ways, so he didn't want to engage in it, but he did. So he was being pulled in all these different directions. So I think because he was pulled in these different directions uh, he there's more documentation of it um, and then he's the one who made that one guy right like that Dave like the guy who's like kind of the Westworld looking guy like that drawing of the guy on the circle with like his arms all out that's Leonardo da Vinci that's the Vitruvian man yeah yes yes so he very made important him. Yeah. Leonardo made him yes because that's kind of gay feeling sure yeah. well for a lot Leonardo, of that stuff's and Michelangelo and Donatello, there's definitely a centrality of the male form. So it's all about celebrating the beauty of the male form. We often say that all these artists, a lot of them working in Florence, were all celebrating this gorgeous male form. And then in Venice, we see a celebration of the female form. So whenever I'm teaching, my male students are like, where are the naked women? And I say, just wait, we're going to get to Venice. Calm it down. And Venice is later? Yeah, it's a little later when the Renaissance really gets cracking. But um, you have artists like uh, Titian and George but they're not as well known um, as the Ninja Turtle artist. Um, and then is Raphael a lady one? Was, was uh, Raphael like more of a lady painter? Did he paint more lady forms? Like, was he, he more did, Venetian? He did, yes. So um, there's a beautiful painting of a woman called the Veiled Woman. Uh, so he tends to celebrate women a bit more. Yes, I would say. I would agree with that. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. I love that story. So um, <laughs> who of the three existed at the same time? 
So uh, Raphael, Leonardo, and Michelangelo were all working simultaneously. And when uh, Leonardo died in 1519, and then Raphael dies very young, quite tragically, in 1520. So that's why a lot of people say that's kind of the end of the high Renaissance. It was so sad that this great Renaissance artist— So Raphael, the only straight one, died young? He did. He died in his 30s. We don't know the exact cause of death, although some people say that he— Loved so many women so passionately that he may have just done himself in. Luke with syphilis. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, okay, so who was the first of the three new ones to pass? Leonardo. Leonardo died in, yeah. in what again? 1519. And then? Raphael in 1520. And then who was the third one who was Michelangelo gay? didn't die until, I think, the 1560s. Oh, cute. So he yeah. lived much older and was... Yes. And he was the one who made the Vitruvian David again? No, that was... No. So he did oh, make the David, but Leonardo made the Vitruvian man. Um, and Michelangelo, yeah, lived a very long life. He contributed to the huge Basilica of St. Peter's, where the Pope is. So not only did he paint the Sistine ceiling, but he also contributed to the architecture. The dome there is often and called Michelangelo's Dome because it said he designed it. And he did super gay stuff too? He was Like, and he was old and gay. gay. Like, yes. he lived to be gay and all. I love that. He yes. like, oh, we love that so much. And But none of them had like a, did any of them have like a partner? Like, the, like the, a rumored main squeeze partner? Not no. really. So there were these there are particular young men that Michelangelo is said to have favored and to have had basically like a crush on. We don't know if the relationship was consummated in any ways. Um, and we're always hesitant to say that they lived a gay lifestyle. We often say like their activity, because there wasn't really like a title gay lifestyle at that time. Yeah. We just say like, oh, they engaged in no, I get homosexual it. behavior. I just wish I could have been there alive at that time and like really swept in and been like a clear underwood to one of them. Sure, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. obviously, well, actually, that's probably not a good comparison anymore given what happened in real life with that show but I mean like I just wish I could have been like one of their like Jackie Kennedys you know what I mean like I just want to be like one of like the first wives but husbands of one of them and I just think that would be so cute so then back to not that so another thing about the Sistine Chapel that Anthony was telling me is that at the time um, all like the demons on the chapel are kind of painted as like the more like homophobic mean like you know players in the church and then the really hot ones are kind of the more like cool ones well he was definitely interested in a lot of muscular forms forms at that time and we definitely see people towards the hell area that were not his favorite people. So I think he's on the right track there. Yes. Like who was on the hell side? So I don't remember the names off the top of my head, but there's a couple of individuals on the in the lower corner where you see them. They're basically given like animal ears and they look especially monstrous. And there's this hell mouth where they're very close by. And yeah, Michelangelo had certain people that he did not like. And so he had no hesitation about representing them in that area. Why didn't he like them? Well, they were. I think they were mean to him. And I don't know if they were deliberately mean because they thought he was gay, um, but he just, they just when clashed. he didn't like people, he did not hesitate. He was a little cranky. And then who commissioned him the most? Uh, so he received commissions. So the ceiling was commissioned by a pope named Pope Julius II, and then uh, Pope Paul III, I think it is, commissioned a scene of the Last Judgment, and that the Last Judgment is where you see that hell scene, where some of his least favorite people are near the hell mouth. So how long did it take to paint the Sistine Chapel? So that took about four years to paint the ceiling, and then the Last Judgment, I think, took a couple years as well. I think that was in the 1530s. Um, and then... Uh, 
So what was the, the Medici's were like with Donatello though, and they were from before. Yes, exactly. But what was the relationship of some of the families who were commissioning like big expensive artwork with like the church? Like, did the church ever hate any of those big, like rich families, or like what, what was their relationship? So generally, it was the big rich families that were being elected to the papacy. So uh, a lot of those families were paying for their sons to get the cardinal's hat, and so eventually they could be elected to the papacy. So by the 16th century, we actually have a couple of Medici popes. So the Medici are actually making it into the papacy. They got money by banking and trade in the 15th century, and then by the 16th century, they've made it into the top level. They've become, they're part of the papacy. Uh, So yes, a lot of those families that were collecting art in the 15th century are now Uh, elevated to these highest levels of society, including the papacy, and they're still buying art, and they're still working with a lot of these artists, but they had favorite artists. So sometimes Michelangelo would get along with the Pope, so the Pope would commission him, but sometimes they wouldn't get along. And that was just dependent on, like, if the Pope died or got, because, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. So the Popes were generally not there for that long, Um, and the Popes at that time engaged in a lot of warfare because they wanted to expand the Papal States, so they were more like kings than um, the way we think of them as Popes as spiritual leaders for Catholics today. Right. And then was there ever like a Handmaid's Tale sort of like Pope cleansing thing where they were like, no more gluttony, no more gay guys painting your stuff. Like, we want to clean it up. So uh, in 1517, there's the start of the Reformation, which is Martin Luther in Germany posting his objections to the corruption of the Catholic Church. And so for a long time, the papacy didn't take this very seriously. They saw themselves as above anyone's reproach. Yeah, they're thinking a little priest in Germany is insulting us. Who cares? Um, But then they saw more and more people starting to leave the church, more and more people objecting to the church. You had um, Henry VIII, who wouldn't be given, who wasn't given a divorce or an annulment by the Pope. So he also leaves the church. When was that? When was that whole divorce? Right at the same time. Divorce, we had to die. Divorce, we had to survive. Happened all at that same time, too. Well, so, yes, yes. This was a cracking ass fucking popping off time. The Renaissance. happening. Yeah. Yeah. And so with the Reformation, so many people left the Catholic Church and eventually the papacy gets the message and they say we have to reform. So we have what's called the Counter-Reformation and that's when they start to clean up. The art starts to get cleaned up. They start uh, reducing the amount of at least outward corruption that people see. They had something called indulgences where basically you would sell like if you'd sinned, you could buy an indulgence and it would reduce your time in purgatory. So people mm. objected to that with the idea that basically you could sin as much as you want as long as you paid the church money. And so that's something that Luther really objected to during the Reformation. Because he's like, that's not how God feels. So yeah. then I really don't want to like leave this to such a little amount of time. But Anthony told me this really amazing story about this woman whose name escapes me, but I asked you about her But when we first walked in. And I don't want to reduce her story because she's a fucking feminist icon in the fucking Renaissance. And even though this episode went fucking late, we have to talk about her for at least like fucking five minutes because I will not have this woman have her time robbed on this fucking podcast, even if there's another person waiting. here, I agree. Yeah, so what's her name? What was her story? So Artemisia Gentileschi, she comes in a period we call the Baroque period, which comes after the Renaissance, so she's about 1600. Um, But no, she's a very important artist. There had been very few professional female artists uh, until she arrived on the scene. She worked in Rome. Her father was an artist. Her mother died when she was very young. And so we think she was basically raised in the studio. Uh, but she was sexually assaulted <gasps> by one of her instructors or a man who was associated with her father. Uh, and so there was a whole trial that happened. So we have all this documentation where she actually had to go up and testify and explain exactly how she was assaulted and how she was attacked by this man whose name was Tossi. Uh, and she was actually tortured to make sure she was telling the truth. They would, like, prick her with 
almost like thumbtacks, little needles to make sure she was telling the truth. Uh, her testimony stayed very, very consistent. And in fact, he was convicted, but he never actually served any time. He was supposed to go to the equivalent of jail uh, in the Baroque period, but he never actually went. Uh, but it's a very controversial moment because, in fact, uh, it seems that her father wanted him to just marry Artemisia. Once he had essentially taken her virginity, rape was considered okay as long as the man married the woman. Basically, So it's just terrible. It's a really terrible time for women. Um, but she went on to produce wonderful artwork. Uh, she created a lot of images of female heroines from the Old Testament. So a lot of people say that connects to the fact that she was a woman artist trying to make it in the world. Um, and some of the scenes are quite violent. We have scenes where she's actually um, where we see a woman named Judith cutting off the head of a, a general named Holofernes. So another story of a woman heroine. Uh, and she's really getting in there and cutting off his head and there's blood everywhere. That's what Anstein told me about. Yes. And he said that's what was so controversial. Yes. So a lot of people say that after her trial and after she'd been through all of this, they read her art psychoanalytically, the idea that her art is reflecting her kind of hatred of men at this time. We don't know if that's necessarily true. A lot of the art is really violent at this time. We have artists like Caravaggio in the Renaissance where there's a lot of violence. His life was also very violent as well. Um, but you, we're not exactly sure if it's related to her trial, but it's possible. So it could be reading into it too much, but there is a chance that, that could have been because it seems like she was really kind of screwed. So did she end up like ever getting married? or She did get married, but it seems that her husband kind of disappeared on her. She did have a child. She was accepted into the Florence Art Academy, which I think she was the first woman to ever be accepted into the Florence Art Academy. And so that was a big deal. So she had a very good life and she... Was um, there like a time's up as far as... I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I'm I'm so sorry because it's like really messed up. But time's up. (laughs) No, no, no. But like speaking of like, like with lady artists at the time, like were they, you know, constantly underpaid and like not able to get commissioned the way that men would be and stuff? So a lot of women did complain that sometimes they would be paid less for their drawings, or sometimes uh, commissioners or patrons would want the drawings and then ask a man to paint it. So they would take the drawing, but then they would give the man the bigger commission. I hate that story. I could talk to you forever, and you live here, don't you? I do. I live it. Yeah, I live. We have to, like, I I have to, like, have a second second educational date. Like, I'm obsessed with you. I want to learn so much more. We have to have her back. We're so so having you back. I want to, like, do, like, you have to be my resident art history expert, and we'll do, like, one on like teach me like about a story a time on like a thing it's like so interesting perfect um Professor Lisa, thank you so much. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, where can people find you? Uh, I'm at Cerritos College. If they want to reach me, my email address is on my... No, not there. that. They will bug you like you don't understand, honey. I mean like on your social, on your Twitter, on your Instagram. My Twitter is at Lisa Boutan, so you can find me there. And then do you, do you have the gram? I'm on the gram. We got to yes. get you on the gram. I'm on the, I'm pro, Profitella1474. Yes, queen. And do you do like gorgeous posts about like art and stuff? And, like, I do. I'm just recently on the gram. So I'm oh. working on my skills. Well, we're really into the gram. So we will fully support you there. Like I would use screenshots of art and tell the story of it. We will follow you so hard. Um, so yeah, I love this so much. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for listening to Getting Curious. I love you guys. Bye. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness, and my guest this week was Professor Lisa Bhutan-Vitella. You'll find links to Lisa's work in the episode description of whatever device you're listening to the show on. And I did light a little fire under her very smart booty to get on her Instagram game, so click that link too. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JVN. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much for her, uh, for letting us use it. And if you've enjoyed Getting Curious... 
Tell your friends. You guys, you know I love a charting moment, and it turns out that the charts are really determined by how many new subscribers you give. You know we love new subscribers, so tell your friends. If they don't know how to use a podcast, just like pick up their phone and like pick up that little purple icon and like tap on it and press subscribe. It's totally free. Um, you know, and it's cute. And also, I know you guys are really excited that we got some commercials. Oh my god, it's like so cute. Thank you so much for dealing with our commercials. It's still really cute. You know, mommy just needs commercials. Again, go to podsurvey.com slash JBN and take a quick anonymous. She's so quick. She's so anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little better. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening. We love you so much. We'll see you next time on Getting Curious. Hey.